From VT Digger, this is The Deeper Dig. I'm Riley Robinson. Vermont, I hereby call to order the 77th biennial session of the House of Representatives. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Riley. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, lawmakers returned to the State House last week. You've been in the building watching everything that's going on. Can you catch us up on what the last week-ish has looked like? In the legislature, we have a new makeup, uh, a whole new slate of legislators, roughly one-third of the body has turned over. We will now proceed to House members' oath of office. Obviously, this is also the first fully in-person legislative session since COVID, so uh, that's brought a lot of energy into the building. And then, of course, Governor Phil Scott was inaugurated for his fourth two-year term in office. It is now my distinct honor to present to you the governor of the state of Vermont, the Honorable Philip B. Scott. We heard his fourth inaugural address where he laid out his kind of vision for Vermont over the next two years. But the distance between Burlington and Rutland, Manchester and Reedsboro, Middlebury and Craftsbury, St. Albans and Richford can be measured in more than just miles. Consider the data, whether it's housing burden, income, property value, poverty levels, labor force, or access to broadband. It's clear some places are consistently doing better than others. Governor Scott talked a lot about the urban-rural divide in Vermont. And so, you know, this is an issue that, and a dynamic that is not entirely unique to Vermont. I've covered politics in a number of states, and urban-rural divides have been a theme in every state that I've covered. You know, you have your urban centers, um, big you know, cohorts of population, and then, you know, the population sprawls. And people in different geographic areas have different needs, different priorities, different political beliefs, etc. So what Governor Scott was talking about in his inaugural address, he was talking about that kind of, you know, dichotomy in Vermont, where we see Chittenden County is obviously the state's population hub. Um, the rest of the population is spread out throughout the rest of the state. And so if you are in, say, Burlington, things are going to look quite a bit different if you're there versus, I don't know, Dover. I noticed that Scott mentioned in his speech the small state minimum, which is a federal policy. It's in the U.S. Congress. Just look at how he used the small state minimum to prevent states with larger populations and larger congressional delegations from taking the lion's share of federal funds. About half of you represent towns of less than 1,000. So you're up against the same challenge when compared to our bigger cities. What better way to honor Senator Leahy's legacy than to deliver for your small communities the way he's delivered for our small state? Tell me what that means. So the small state minimum is kind of former U.S. Senator Patrick Leahy's baby. What the small state minimum does is that it ensures that small states with small populations, like Vermont, get, it almost establishes a floor for their funding when we're passing these really big 
you know, dollar bills. And the reason for that is that if you were to, if you used a formula that would just go on a per capita basis, you know, some of our really high population states, California, New York, Texas, would just dwarf small, small states like Vermont. Um, and of course, Senator Leahy's influence in, you know, crafting this practice in Congress has led to a quite a large amount of dollars coming into Vermont. It's like an agreement to say there are small communities that need help and they need a disproportionate amount of funding. Is that controversial? You know, some people say it's unfair that, say, a, a tiny state like Vermont, you know, gets a disproportionate amount of funding compared to some other states. If you look at some of the allocations, say from the American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA, Vermont got more money per capita than, say, California, the most populous state. Vermont happens to be a very white state. And when, you know, a, a small rural white state is getting a disproportionate amount of funding compared to higher population states with a more diverse population, you know, this is something that people have raised alarm bells on, right? But, of course, the other piece of it is to ask, how would these states survive without this? You know, small states need money somehow, uh, especially for, say, infrastructure projects are really huge. And, you know, the, the government has to take care of its rural folks, too. If you don't have the, the tax base in your local jurisdiction to cover some of these big ticket items, you know, that's well, many would argue that's what the federal government is for. There is a lot of federal money out there right now. So Sarah and I wanted to talk to lawmakers about this. Where is this money going? Is it distributed fairly? And what do they make of the governor's approach? Let's talk about the urban rural okay, let's divide. Do it. Yep, let me click my page. Just off the bat, some of the things that the governor said in his address, what were some, was there maybe a particular moment that stood out? Well, the urban rule uh, framing was, well, I'll, I'll try to be hip and cool. It was a cringe moment, I will say, uh, about how to talk about Vermont. Because one of the things that I have been most proud about for most of the pandemic, and even when we've gone through storms like Irene, is the sense of fierce community that we have in the state, where it doesn't matter if you're, you're in Wilmington or Canaan or Burlington, for that matter, that we're all in this together. We're all linking arms. We this is Representative Emma Mulvaney-Stanick, a progressive Democrat, he represents part of Burlington's North End. What I really, what, why I said cringe is that the way that he set up this dichotomy was quite unfair and unresponsive to the, also the, the needs of um, more urban areas, which are largely Chittenden County, but also could be Barrie and Rutland and Springfield, um, because uh, there are definitely economic struggles happening, um, maybe in a different degree, but in my neighborhood in the old North End of Burlington, people are really struggling to keep up with rents. I mean, this is not a competition. I think that kind of gets into that place of polarizing parts of the states against each other, which is unnecessary. We're all in a housing crisis. We're all in an economic crisis where cost of living is impacting everyone. I think it, it sort of has folks double down that there are um, really stark differences when they're not between the Northeast Kingdom and Central Vermont or parts of Southern Vermont. 
Taylor Small, a progressive Democrat representing Winooski, was also hesitant to draw dividing lines between urban and rural areas. Yeah, overall, we're a rural state. Um, But I don't want that to overshadow the fact that there are uh, aspects of rural Vermont that are being missed in the discussions um, when we have such a heavy focus on uh, the urban areas, and in particular, Chittenden County. Um, I think what the governor also highlighted is that there is a, a large contingency of representatives and senators from Chittenden County because of population density in that area. Um, And I think where the nuance is there is really recognizing that when we are putting votes forward, when we are putting policies forward, it isn't specifically for our uh, town or city that we represent or our specific county, but that we need to be taking a statewide approach. And so that's where I would have loved to see the governor's remarks go, is not creating an unnecessary divide, but really focusing on the totality of Vermont and that these issues are impacting every single one of us every single day. Um, And I think that would have been the message that uh, sustained us and would have actually brought uh, some optimism in being able to collaborate. But now I feel like there are folks in more urban areas on the defense because they are worried about what the governor's remarks meant. But it seems like some of Scott's comments did resonate with lawmakers from more rural parts of the state who feel like the smaller towns in Vermont don't always get adequate attention in state government. Yeah, that's a common theme, absolutely, in rural areas. Uh, A couple of my towns really do feel left out. This is Lisa Hango, a Republican state representative from Franklin County. She's a co-chair on the Rural Caucus. And since I got here in 2019, I've been mentioning their names consistently. You know, like this town is at the end of the line, so to speak, and doesn't really get the the attention that it deserves. So in a way, that's what this rural caucus is all about, is bringing attention to the towns that, that are at the end of the line. They're not on a major highway, for instance. You know, they're not along the interstate. I think the the pandemic has been one thing that has really shown us where the rural areas have really lacked. This is Russ Ingalls, a Republican state senator from the Essex District. When I first ran for the Senate, I met with a household that had six kids, blended family. And, um, and I went there. And I went there because I wanted to hear their take of what they thought government was. And I wanted them to ask questions and all. And the oldest one was going in as a, a freshman in high school. She was a freshman in high school, and the youngest one was in fifth grade. And um, the one that was going in as a freshman uh, was very, very troubled because in eighth grade, it showed that she missed 43 days of school um, because they were all trying to get on the broadband system that was there because there wasn't enough broadband, uh, broadband width for all six of those kids to be on there at the same time. And that's the only service that was available to them. Do you think it's fair for smaller towns to get more per capita for infrastructure projects? I think that you have to be careful with that. I think you have to be careful because here's where it's at. The state's asking them to perform those duties. 
They're asking them to do a lot of stuff. They're asking them to make sure that your culverts are lined or make sure those bridges are there or this and that. And if they just don't have the monies, if they don't have the monies to do that, um, then yeah, I, I guess in that instance right there that you are asking them, um, there it gets down to where there's just not enough people to do all what's being asked of you. And so sometimes you do need more. Um, because if you just get it down to the population part of it, but here's where it's at. We have all that beauty up there, and we have these snowmobile trails, and we have these four-wheeler trails, and we have all that stuff. And the rest of the state's coming up and using all of that. And, and, and they're asking us to keep up with the rest of what they're doing as well. And, um, and we're deriving nothing out of that other than the mom and pops are uh, you know, selling more gasoline, selling more bags of chips, and, uh, and we're, we're getting some lodging, which we're very, very appreciative of it. But if we're the playground for everybody else, and yet we're still being asked to make sure that all of our, everything that you have in Chittenden County can be the same thing as what you have in Canaan, I guess probably then, yeah, send us a little bit more money in because we don't have enough people to do all of that. The day after the governor's speech, his administration put out its mid-year budget proposal. As part of that, they've requested $3 million for a new program that's specifically designed to help small towns apply for the federal funding that's out there. This idea is generally popular with the Rural Caucus, which is a group of 50-plus lawmakers in the Vermont House. They represent some of the smallest communities, and they span the political spectrum. So in, in my town, um, we have three volunteer select board members, and we have, you know, a part-time town clerk. And that's true for so many of our communities. This is Catherine Sims. She's a Democrat who represents four towns in the Northeast Kingdom. She's a co-chair on the Rural Caucus. You know, there, and, and, and we see that there's been a difference in the utilization of the state ARPA dollars by communities that have town administrators or town managers and those that don't. That there's a real bandwidth difference. And we want to help those smaller communities that have less capacity make sure that they can advance their projects um, in this critical moment to take advantage of the, the federal dollars. I think what we're trying to talk about is how do we help every community thrive? How do we make sure that every community has um, kind of equitable access to programs that we make available? And um, what we're trying to have a conversation about here is how do we make sure that we're not leaving some communities behind? And um, I think there's a, you know, sometimes a kind of baseline level of capacity, whether it's an you know, organization or a business or a town, needs to kind of operate. Lawmakers and Phil Scott are both pointing to this bigger structural problem of how we run government and how we distribute funding. When we say that there's a lot of federal money for X thing, like broadband or weatherization, that's usually done through a grant program. And that takes work. Someone, some human, has to sit there and write out an application and then run the project and sometimes report back on how that money was spent. In most Vermont towns around 55% of them, don't have any paid staff to do that. So a lot of the time, the towns that could benefit the most from these big grants are the least likely to apply for them. It's humans, you know, it's, it's humans, it's time, it's, um, it is uh, technical know-how. This is Laura Sibelia. She's an independent state rep from Wyndham County, and she's the third co-chair of the Rural Caucus. 
So uh, I represent a pretty rural district, uh, a lot of small towns in southern Vermont, a pretty mountainous area, really isolated a lot of the towns. So I live at the very bottom of Route 100, well not the very bottom, um, at uh, close to the bottom of Route 100 in between Wyndham and Bennington counties. Um, these are very isolated communities. So when we think about their connection to uh, energy, to the grid, um, when we think about strong storms, uh, which we definitely see evidence from uh, our utilities that uh, weather is becoming more and more extreme in Vermont, um, you know, they're, they're being isolated. So uh, the electric grid I see uh, as an infrastructure issue, uh, broadband, which we certainly are doing a lot around broadband. Um, I think uh, the communications union districts are uh, a big asset in that regard. Water, wastewater, I mean, those are differentiators going forward. Do communities have access to clean water and, uh, and wastewater? This is the second year that the Rural Caucus is working on a rural omnibus bill to put before the legislature, and it will likely cover a broad range of issues. Housing and Act 250 reforms, the right to repair farm equipment, maintaining rural EMS services. Administrative capacity is also top of mind because it touches all of these other things. Money for affordable housing generally goes through grant programs. Anything where towns are pooling regional resources also takes admin work. Here's, here's another great example, right? So how do uh, two towns with uh, fire departments that are pretty isolated, uh, that they can't really stand up, fire departments, like, how do they come together? How do they even have that conversation? You know, I mean, so, and they may not, they may not do it, you know, but like, how can someone come forward and say, hey, maybe we could help you have that conversation, <laughs> you know, just give you a little assistance so that you're at space capacity, we could help, you know, uh, call the meeting for you, you know, help you kind of find programs that may be able to support merging, those types of things. I mean, those are those can be big issues for just regular citizens, and regular citizens run Vermont. That's who runs Vermont, so. You can read more of Sarah's reporting and more from the rest of our politics team at vtdigger.org. This episode also used music by Blue Dot Sessions. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening right now. We will be back in your feed soon.